working in the decidedly male-dominated and white genre of science fiction, Octavia E. Butler would make a huge impact as an outsider. What she wrote, she didn't do with a particular agenda, neither feminist nor racial. Instead, she grounded her work in truths based in her understanding of life as a black female who was infatuated with science fiction and fantasy. Furthermore, she felt it important to acknowledge that her black female existence amounted to very different experiences than those typically found within the genre. She also understood what writers in general were up against. She was aware that if people wanted to be lectured to, they'd take a class, and if they wanted to hear a sermon, they'd go to church. If they wanted to read a story, then it better be a fairly good story, one that held their attention. It was going to have to compete with TV, movies, sports, and other forms of entertainment, not to mention the vast amount of other available literature. Octavia E. Butler was something of a phenomenon, a black female science fiction writer who would go on to publish more than a dozen books and win all the major science fiction awards of the time. She would gain a cult following, as well as critical acclaim, in particular after the release of the novel we are focusing on in this episode. Welcome to House of Words, a podcast about writers, slavery, and time travel. I am your host, Jason Nemoore Hardin, and today we are exploring Octavia E. Butler's life and her novel, Kindred. Kindred was first published by Doubleday in June 1979. This synopsis is from a later edition. In 1976, Dana dreams of being a writer. In 1815, she is assumed a slave. When Dana first meets Rufus on a Maryland plantation, he's drowning. She saves his life and it will happen again and again. Neither of them understands his power to summon her whenever his life is threatened, nor the significance of the ties that bind them. And each time Dana saves him, the more aware she is that her own life might be over before it's even begun. This is the extraordinary story of two people bound by blood, separated by so much more than time. Quote, When I began writing science fiction, when I began reading, heck, I wasn't in any of the stuff I read. The only black people you found were occasional character or characters who were so feeble-witted that they couldn't manage anything anyway. I wrote myself in since I'm me, and I'm here, and I'm writing." End quote. Octavia Estelle Butler was born on June 22, 1947 in Pasadena, California as the only child of Octavia Margaret Guy and Laurice James Butler. Her father would unfortunately die when she was four years old and she would be raised by her religious mother, who worked as a maid to support them. Later reflecting on growing up without a father, Octavia would tell that it very much influenced her life as well as her work. She didn't have a male person around to show her what it meant to be a male. Instead, she would watch uncles and wonder why they did things the way they did. As a child, she had a hard time fitting in. She was taller than most and struggled with dyslexia. 
the dyslexia making her more determined to read. As a way to combat loneliness and boredom, she began writing stories around age 10. She had begun by telling herself stories from around the age of four, so writing them down seemed like a natural progression. It was also a good way to safely store the stories as she would forget details when she only had her memory to rely on. In addition to writing, she continued to read as much as possible and would read anything she could get her hands on. In particular, she liked animal stories, fairy tales, mythology, and sorts of that nature, including many books her mother did not want her reading. Though dedicated to her craft from an early age, her family was less than encouraging. By her own admission, her mother was less than annoyed by her desire to write than most people, but it was not something she hoped for for her daughter. Most of her family assumed it was a good thing as it kept her out of trouble, but at the same time, they didn't think it could actually lead to anything, particularly as they hadn't known that there was such a thing as black writers, never mind a successful one. Going against the grain, however, Octavia continued to do her thing. She read fairy tales for a while, then moved on to horse stories, but was disappointed when she wasn't allowed outside of the restricted section of the library called the Peter Pan Room until she turned 14 years old. Insulted by juvenile books, it effectively stopped her from going to the library altogether. In her early teens, when one day while writing a story about horses, she noticed a science fiction movie playing on the TV. She continued writing for a while longer, but kept an eye on the movie, it was bad. Terrible, actually. It was Devil Girl from Mars. Then a thought popped into her mind. I can do better than that, she thought to herself. She then turned off the TV and began writing a science fiction story. It hadn't been a strike of lightning. Octavia had been interested and fascinated by science fiction for a good while by then, but it definitely was a turning point. Later in life, she would say that reading or watching subpar science fiction pieces was the impetus for a lot of science fiction writers. You see a concept you like, but one executed poorly, which in turn has the power to cultivate great creativity. Her first experience with adult science fiction came through magazines at the grocery store. Whenever she could afford them, she'd buy copies of Amazing and Fantastic or Fantasy and Science Fiction or galaxy. Not being like her peers, she wasn't really interested in anything considered conventional or normal, and therefore didn't write what were considered normal pieces. What did fascinate her was telepathy, psionic powers, and ESP. The only genre that didn't interest her was ghost stories. Although having been raised a born-again Baptist, she had stopped believing in an afterlife at age 12 though she wouldn't find the courage to tell her mother until five years later. Because of this, ghost stories never appealed to her. This interest in the supernatural did, however, pull her in the direction of Zena Henderson, who wrote about telepathy and as a plus from the point of view of a young woman. Later, she would discover writers such as John Bruner and Theodore Sturgeon and continue her dive further into the genre. The sci-fi stories she wrote at this time were, by her own admission, pretty awful, in particular because they weren't about anything she particularly cared about. 
Being 12 to 13 years old at the time, she would write and submit short stories for publication based on what she saw was being published in magazines. These were stories about 30-year-old white men who drank and smoked too much. It goes without saying that she did not find great success with these. It was also around the age of 13 that Octavia found out on a visceral level what slavery was. Before then, she hadn't understood why the slaves hadn't simply run away. But around 13, she and her mother had moved into a house that had another house in the back. In that other house lived people who beat their children. Not only could she hear the kids screaming, she could actually hear when the blows landed. This naturally terrified her. She asked her mother if there was anything she could do. Maybe they could call someone, like the police. But her mother's attitude was that those children belonged to their parents and that they had the right to do what they wanted with their own children. That's when Octavia realized that those kids really had nowhere to go. They were her age and younger, and if they had tried to run away, they would have been sent right back to their parents, who would probably treat them even worse for having tried to run away. That, she concluded, was slavery. Humans being treated as if they were possessions. Without really realizing it, she stored this experience, the pain, desperation, and anger she felt in the back of her mind. Though not being fully supportive of her daughter and her dreams of becoming a writer, her mother did help her out whenever she could. One time, Octavia got involved with an agent who charged her a reading fee. It was a lot of money, more than their monthly rent at the time, but her mother nevertheless scraped up the money for it, though she did hope it would culminate with her daughter finding work as a secretary in the future. Octavia was determined, however, Writing was what she loved doing, and it was what she was intent on doing, although it wouldn't be easy. Having no examples to follow led to not knowing the mistakes and shortcomings being made in her work. Later she would reflect, saying that this is something that happens to many beginning writers. They get rejected again and again without understanding why. It felt like no one was writing what she was writing, and that wasn't going over well. For a while, she thought it was because she was black and she was writing about black subjects. That, however, would not be the case. Not entirely, anyhow. Still, it wasn't easy getting rejection slip after rejection slip, so many that she claimed that she could roll in them at one point. What kept her going were the people in her life that had a big influence on her. These were mostly people she had never met, other authors. Also, certain books gave her that needed push, later referring to these books as corny, books like The Magic of Thinking Big. Nevertheless, these kinds of books gave her the power needed to plow forth. It was also the motivation that no one in her family nor any of her friends could provide. She would read self-help books the same way some people read the Bible, and these would help her go beyond the feeling of absolute worthlessness. It was one thing not having anyone in her family to help, but when she went the academic route in search of writing wisdom, she was troubled to find a different type of discouragement. Science fiction was ingrained in her writing by this time, but when she turned in stories to her teachers, they would insist that she had copied it from somewhere or that someone else had written it for her. 
because it was stranger than anything they had ever read before. Later she would understand that what most English teachers wanted was the exact opposite of what publishers were looking for. Fortunately, Octavia had learned to write one way in order to please her English teachers and another way for herself. Then in 1969, she was admitted to the open-door program of the Screenwriters Guild, where she took a class from Harlan Ellison. Ellison suggested she enroll in the Clarion Science Fiction Writers Workshop, a science fiction boot camp which was held in Pennsylvania. Her mother came through once more and loaned her the money for the boot camp. There, 28-year-old Octavia Butler would spend six weeks immersed in science fiction. As luck and her hard-earned talent would have it, Octavia would sell her two first pieces while she was still at the workshop, one to the Clarion Anthology and the other to a projected Harlan Ellison collection that was never published. Then, she did not sell anything for five years. To support herself, she took menial jobs, washing dishes, sweeping floors, doing warehouse inventory, sorting potato chips, all the while getting up at two or three in the morning to write. When she was laid off from a telephone solicitation job two weeks before Christmas in 1974, she decided it was time to fish or cut bait. Earlier attempts to write a novel had been frustrating because she had been intimidated by the length. Determined to succeed, she then decided to look at each chapter as a short story, and finding inspiration in her earliest science fiction stories, she was able to produce the first Patternist of the Patternist novel series in a matter of months. With information gleaned from Writer's Market, Butler mailed her manuscript to Doubleday where an editor voiced her interest in buying the novel albeit with the changes she outlined in a three-page single-spaced letter. Elated, Octavia complied. She continued writing with more determination than ever, and by the end of the year, she had written Mind of My Mind and more than half of Survivor. And then came her breakthrough novel, Kindred. Quote, I guess I don't like taking what I'm given. That's why I'm hoping there will be more black science fiction writers, more black writers, period. Any minority group needs people who can speak from the group's perspective, maybe not speak for the whole group, but at least from a certain point of view and experience. End quote. Butler would go on to refer to Kindred as a grim fantasy book, and although it would be marketed for mainstream readers, it was for a long time referred to as a science fiction book, mostly because that is what she had been known for up until that point. The inspiration for the novel was layered, but one influence was her own experience of what her mother had to go through to put food on the table. Her mother did domestic work and Octavia would be there sometimes when people talked about her mother when she wasn't there. She got to watch her mother go into back doors and generally be treated in a way that made her feel ashamed. She would later reflect that one of the reasons she wrote Kindred was that it was a way to resolve her feelings concerning what her mother did to provide for her. 
Being born in 1914 and spending most of her early childhood on a sugar plantation in Louisiana, Octavia Margaret Guy told her daughter that the childhood she experienced wasn't too far removed from slavery, the only difference being that they could leave, which they eventually did. Yet another element that influenced Butler greatly was something she heard while in college in the mid-1960s. She was a member of a black student union, along with a guy who had been interested in black history. He was considered to be a knowledgeable person, but his attitude towards slavery was very similar to the attitude that she had held as a 13-year-old, that attitude being that earlier generations of slaves should have rebelled. He once commented that he wished that he could kill all the old people who had been holding back black people for so long, but that he couldn't because that would mean having to start with his own parents. It became clear to her that this individual wanted to deal with black history and its origins, but that he did not feel it in his guts. With Kindred, she wanted to take somebody who grew up as a middle-class black person and place them in the middle of the antebellum South and see how this person would stand up to it. The research process varied greatly for every book she wrote. For Kindred, she went to Maryland and spent time there, mostly at the Enoch Pratt Free Library in Baltimore and at the Maryland Historical Society. Not having had her breakthrough yet, she didn't have much money and therefore did all her traveling by Greyhound and Trailways bus between stays at what she referred to as horribly dirty little hotels. By her own account, she didn't know what she was doing and by chance missed the tours of the old houses in Maryland for that year, as they were seasonal tours. After Maryland, she jumped on yet another bus to Washington, D.C. and took a Gray Line bus tour of Mount Vernon, which was as close as she could get to a plantation. At this time, however, they had not yet rebuilt the slave cabins and the tour guide did not refer to anyone as slaves, but as servants. It was obvious to her that it was all very carefully manufactured in order to avoid the fact that it had been a slave plantation, but she nevertheless acquired a lot of information and knowledge from the tour. The more painful part of the research she found were the stories from the times of slavery. It was painful and difficult to read about, and after reading the narrative of a slave who was explaining how he had been sold to a doctor who used him for medical experiments, she realized that she would not be able to come anywhere near slavery as it really had been. She concluded that it would have to be a somewhat cleaned up version of slavery, or else no one would have been willing to read it. One way she chose to stress the terrible nature of true slavery, though, was to have her protagonist Dana lose her arm. She felt that she couldn't let Dana return to her own time, to who she was, whole. It symbolized how antebellum slavery didn't leave people whole after it was done with them. Though she felt her writing process was very intimate, she did have some advice for prosperous writers, which one can reason is the same advice she took to heart herself. The first was to read. The second was to write every day, whether you like it or not. Don't wait for inspiration. Get into a routine. The third was to forget about talent, whether you have any or not, because, as she said, it doesn't really matter. She didn't feel that she had a particular literary talent at all, 
Rather, it was what she wanted to do. So she followed what she wanted to do and worked hard at it as opposed to getting a job doing something that would generate more money but leave her miserable. Kindred would go on to be considered a modern classic, breaking through to a mainstream audience despite its topic and genre choice. Due to the book's uncannily successful blend of fact and fantasy, it has been often compared to Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka. Reviewers were enthusiastic about the novel upon its release in 1979, and readers felt the same way. In the 42 years since the book has been released, it has not lost any of its power, and in March of this year, 2021, it was announced that Television Channel FX had given a pilot order for a television adaptation of the novel. One can only hope it will do the book justice. In the years after the release of Kindred, she would go on to write several more books and gain a strong fan base. Unfortunately, during her final years, she would struggle with writer's block and depression, which was partly caused by the side effects of medication for high blood pressure. Then sadly, on February 24, 2006, she died after a fall outside her Seattle home that is suspected to have been caused by a stroke. She was 58 years old. Science fiction appealed to Octavia Butler because of the freedom it provided. It allowed her to use different times and settings within the same work. It also allowed her to go into sociological and technical problems and extrapolate from there, which is the reason she went back to stories that were more in the realm of science fiction after Kindred. She also felt that science fiction writers were a bit more willing to use their minds because they are bored with the present, wanting to escape the present and think about things differently. Science fiction was where she felt she belonged, because she did. Let me leave you with one final quote from the science fiction queen herself. I'm comfortably asocial, a hermit in the middle of a large city, a pessimist if I'm not careful, a feminist, a black, a former Baptist, an oil and water combination of ambition, laziness, insecurity, certainty, and drive. End quote. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and will spread the word about the podcast. Once again, I have been your host, Jason Nemoa Hardin. We here at House of Words hope that you would please consider helping to make this show easier to produce and more frequent by contributing on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash house of words. Until next time, keep turning those pages. House of Words is written and produced by Christo M. Sanchez. Narrated and edited by me, Jason Nemore Hardin, and music by Creature Nine and Wood. All rights and ownership belong to Christo M. Sanchez and Jason Nemore Hardin. 